Welcome to the podcast, Estate Planning with Paul Rabelais, where we'll discuss the latest and simplest legal strategies and tactics available for you to protect your estate for yourself and your family, all in easy-to-understand terms. It's all about protecting your estate now, so you and your loved ones can reap the benefits later. And now your host, estate planning attorney, Paul Rabelais. Hello again, everybody, and uh, welcome to my estate planning podcast. This is Paul Rabelais, and uh, where we hit on different topics that affect people uh, as they attempt to protect and preserve what they have uh, and make it simple to keep what they have in their family for their loved ones. Issue we're going to talk about today is the various forms of wills. And again, writing a will is just one one piece of this entire estate planning puzzle, but it's the piece that kind of people are familiar with. Um, you know, oftentimes people will come to me and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll say they have no estate planning in place, but they'll word it such as, you know, Paul, I don't even have a will. So that seems to be the starting point um, for a lot of people when they attempt to get their affairs in order. And some people, um, especially the kind of the do-it-yourselfers and particularly those who are, you know, almost hate to, to use the word cheap, but I, I want to use it in, a, in, a, in the right way. You know, some people want to try to save every penny, every dollar that they can. So there's, it's those do-it-yourselfers and they, you know, they, they do everything they can, whether it's financial or medical or legal and they go as far as they can doing it themselves without having to pay anybody. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But, um, you know, this this podcast is really for everybody. Um, but this one in particular, I, I would want those kind of do-it-yourselfers to, to pay a particular notice. So what we're going to talk about is the forms of wills in Louisiana, because there's two types. And when I say will, um, that's commonly referred to as last will or last will and testament. Uh, In our Louisiana law, um, they refer to them as testaments. So uh, again, the slang word is will. So there's only two forms of testaments that are recognized in Louisiana. And this is a two-part podcast series. So this first uh, podcast is really dedicated to, I would say, the less common form of a testament called an oligraphic testament. And so I want to give you the definition of that and then talk about, in reality, what happens when uh, people have oligraphic testaments. So the first thing I'm going to do, and boy, I really don't like reading the law on these podcasts, but because every word um, can be critical, um, it it is important that I tell you the exact words of our Louisiana law on what an oligraphic testament is. I'll start with just handwritten instead of using the word oligraphic. So it's really just uh, maybe three or four sentences and feel free to um, pause, go back, listen again, um, because really every word is important. So 
in our Louisiana law, the definition of a uh, recognized oligraphic testament is one that is entirely written, dated, and signed in the handwriting of the testator. And again, there's there's there can be definitions of each word in the definition. So testator is the person writing the will. So if Fred Watson is writing his will, the oligraphic testament is one entirely written, dated, and signed in Fred Watson's handwriting. Next sentence, although the date may appear anywhere in the testament, the testator must sign the testament at the end of the testament. So again, that's just more of the dated and signing requirement. And then it starts to get a little fuzzy. It says, if anything is written by the testator after his signature, the testament shall not be invalid and such writing may be considered by the court in its discretion as part of the testament. Okay, here we go. It's because there's been so many court cases where courts have had to interpret uh, handwritten wills. So again, earlier you heard me say it must be signed at the end of the testament. Seems pretty clear. And then the next sentence it says, but... If anything's written after the signature, uh, the, a court in its discretion may consider what was written after the signature. So now we got no idea what's happening if stuff's written after the signature. Then the law goes on to say the oligraphic testament is subject to no other requirement as to form. And then it starts to, to talk about um, when, you know, what's the definition of a written date? Because there's been so many court cases about whether somebody actually wrote the date. So the law says the date is sufficiently indicated if the day, month, and year are reasonably ascertainable from information in the testament as clarified by extrinsic evidence if necessary. Oh, boy. So, again, really not a whole lot of certainty there um, because different people have uh, written, you know, the date out. Some people put the month first or the year first or the day first. They did it numerical. They wrote it out. Um, they maybe didn't put the year. Who knows? And so there's there's all these, um, you know, reasonably ascertainable. Whoa, boy, what does that mean? So that's tough. But anyway, um, and then the next and final sentence or paragraph of our uh, definition of an oligraphic testament says that additions and deletions on the testament may be given effect only if made by the hand of the testator. Okay, so um, what's all that mean? Well, it really means it's pretty easy to write a will um, in Louisiana. You know, uh, let's take old Fred Watson, whose name I just made up, who sat down one day with a piece of paper and a pen, and at the top he wrote the date. He wrote December 7, 2018. And then he wrote one sentence, and let's say he wrote, I, Fred Watson, leave my estate to Mildred Watson, period. And then he signed Fred Watson 
at the end. Well, Fred's got himself a will. And he didn't pay anything for it. So Fred's feeling pretty good right about now. He got his will done. It's taken care of. He left everything to his lovely wife, Mildred. And life, life is good. Fred now has peace of mind. Well, not necessarily. Fred is, is taking, taking some chances. Is, is it a, a valid will? And that, I, I really don't like when I get that question, Paul. Isn't it, can I just write a valid will by sitting down and writing it out, signing it and dating it, and that's it? Well, yeah, you can, you can write a will that meets the validity requirements of a valid testament in Louisiana, but that's just, that's just the starters. Um, making it valid is easy, but the trick comes with uh, does it accomplish you know, everything that you want it to accomplish, particularly given the fact that some family circumstances, some asset information, and some things may change from the time that you write that until the time that you pass away. So, for example... Um, and I'm just going to scratch the surface here. Let's say Fred writes that out. He writes his will. I, Fred Watson, leave my estate to Mildred Watson. Well, let's say Mildred, his wife, dies before Fred. So probably based on their ages and health, probably about a 50% chance or so Fred will die before Mildred. Heck, he's a guy. Guys don't live as long as the gals. So that's a potential problem. Who and it doesn't go to Mildred's estate. Some some people read this. Oh, oh, Fred died. Mildred died five years ago. Well, it all goes to Mildred's estate. No, it doesn't. Um, so whole whole another set of problems there. Who's going to be the executor? Um, it didn't address who the executor is. You know, um, courts got to confirm an executor to handle things uh, while all of this stuff is being administered. And then in Louisiana, we have um, we have the typically burdensome um, executor requirements, and then we have the somewhat less burdensome independent executor requirements, and you've got to authorize all of that independent executor stuff in your will. Of course, that's not there. And then maybe they didn't even think or address or Fred didn't address, you know, what if what if Fred leaves everything to Mildred and then you know, Mildred maybe later either remarries or lives with somebody and and she leaves everything that she owns to her new spouse. Well, now the people that Fred would have wanted to receive it get left out. They get zero. Another thing that the will does is it, it requires um, these formal court-supervised probate proceedings. Maybe Fred thought, heck, if I just write it out, it's a valid will, and then... Mildred, after I die, can take my will to all the places where I own stuff, and they'll just put everything in her name. It doesn't work that way. So when Fred dies, Mildred's going to have to seek out uh, legal help. Um, we're going to have to get a judge to approve the validity of the will. We're going to have to do all the other um, inventories of assets and court pleadings and court orders that are required when someone dies leaving assets in their name. So the handwritten will or no will really um, eliminates the need for a Louisiana probate or succession. 
And then maybe this is all that Fred did, and he felt like he had his legal affairs in order, and the will certainly, and no will, addresses the potential Fred becoming incapacitated issues, who can make his financial decisions, who can talk to his doctor and make medical decisions, access medical records, sell his vehicle if that's necessary, if Fred is alive, but uh, hasn't passed away, but due to illness, injury, uh, or any reason, just he's unable to handle things for himself. So this doesn't address any of that. So those are a, a few of the issues by Fred just trying to keep it really, really simple. Some people, on the other hand, will prepare an oligraphic will, and they will try to cover many details, but there are errors and there are ambiguities. I remember one one time I was handling an estate, um, was presented with um, a, an oligraphic will after a woman had passed away. Turns out, unfortunately, she had cancer and she didn't have a long time to live, so she did the best that she knew how to do. She sat down and wrote out her wishes and attempted to write out her will. Well, she had several concerns um, she had uh, a mother that was living with her. She had a husband, and then she had a, a young adult daughter um, from a previous marriage. And so she sat down and she wrote out how she wanted her home uh, to be handled after she passed away with her mother, husband, and daughter having uh, and, and her her wish was that they each have, you know, a place to live and a place that they can call home. Well, when she passed away, we, of course, had to go through the probate, and a judge had no idea uh, how to have that home retitled after the woman passed away. We had to have a number of court hearings, and it got messy and ugly and and uh, with family members pitted against each other. And so that was just um, unknowing. And, and most of these errors are unknowing by the people who make them. Sometimes when the people try to get you know particular, they don't address the entire estate. Seen a number of oligraphic wills where I can see what was on their mind when they were doing it, but they just didn't cover everything they needed to cover. Maybe someone said, I leave my house to so-and-so, I leave my bank accounts to so-and-so, and I leave my vehicles to so-and-so, but then the person dies uh, maybe weeks, months, or years later, and they either don't still own those things or they own things in addition to what they specifically bequeathed. And so uh, perhaps there's no what us lawyers call residuary clause, and that really complicates things. Sometimes people say, you know, I, I leave $25,000 to my grandson. They'll write that in their will, but then they die and the grandson is a minor or maybe the grandson is by age an adult, but he doesn't act like an adult. So sometimes an outright inheritance is a bad idea, particularly when you have a minor involved. That's when there's additional court proceedings that are necessary because a minor can't inherit in the minor's name, doesn't have the capacity to, or if you if you leave uh, something in your oligraphic will to an irresponsible person, um, maybe they'll blow it and you'll wish from your grave that you never did that. 
Or sometimes, you know, like Fred did, he left everything to Mildred, kept it real simple. But um, he really, if he would have been asked the right questions, he probably would have expressed something like, yes, I want it to be available for Mildred. But when Mildred dies, I want to make sure my children, you know, get what I left, you know, to Mildred or what's left of what I left to Mildred. Um, so some of those things need to be, you know, typically aren't addressed in an oligraphic will. So bottom line with oligraphic wills is that it, it is possible, if not simple, to write your own valid will. However, those future costs of trying to sort through all of the difficulties and ambiguities and errors and things that you didn't know that you should have provided um, and you didn't, those future costs of, uh, and those costs will come from your estate. So it's just like they're coming from your bank account. But the future costs uh, of, of sorting through all of that uh, may significantly outweigh any savings that you felt you recognized by doing it yourself. So, um, you know, and, and no rule that I state is, um, is hard and fast, but the general rule is, you know, don't write your own will. Um, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, if you go out and you you purchase a home, which could be even a simpler transaction than settling your estate. You know, you're not going to write your own uh, sale documents when you buy or sell a home. You're not going to write your own mortgage documents when you buy or sell your home. So certainly don't try to write your will um, when you're trying to, to leave your estate to the right people the right way, putting the right people in charge, avoiding all of the uh, attorney court government intrusions that uh, so many families face when they have to deal with this stuff. So hope that helps. That was part one of our two-part podcast on the two forms of Louisiana wills. This part one was about the oligraphic testament and then part two uh, probably even more important because it's a more common form of testament is where we'll get in um, and discuss the notarial testament. So make sure you stay tuned to that. I'm Paul Rabelais. Hope that helps. Have a great day.